Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. we come together Lord and take time not to be encroached upon by the things of this world, the cares of this life and <clears throat> everything that would want to distract us. Thank you Lord that there's a, there's a moment at least once a week where we can come together and just breathe and not have to worry about the phone going off and not have to worry about responding to the children or not having to worry about doing this or doing that, running up and down Lord. Our lives are so hectic and busy. Thank you for this opportunity just to rest now and sit at your feet. Father, we pray that you'd really bless your word. It's yours, yet you desire to give it to us. Give it to us today, I pray. And allow our cup to be full. Help us to get our knives and forks out, Lord, and that we would feast on your word today and that we would be nourished by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are in... <clears throat> Our foundation series, for most of you who have been attending know, my name's Robert, I'm one of the pastors here, if we never met. And this is the sixth in the series. And today we're looking at resurrection of the dead. And if you'd like to turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. Hebrews 6, verse 1 and 2. Now, it's the foundation series. Now, I'm going to wait till you turn because I want you to see something in these verses that for the past 10 years have consistently affected us. That's why we're sharing it with you, particularly now as we talk about covenant communities, we talk about membership. Hebrews 6, verse 1 and 2. Now, before I read it, you have to remember that the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 has begun to talk about Melchizedek. And he gets to a point where it seems as if he's realizing that the readers or the hearers are not getting it. He's talking about Melchizedek and he's talking about Jesus being after the order of Melchizedek and it's a new priesthood, not after the ironic priesthood. And he's like, he stops. Like, you ain't getting it. And then he begins to talk about, hey, seems like we have to go back to the basics, back to the ABCs, back to the fundamentals, back to the foundation. Now, with that in mind, Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles. Everybody say leaving. leaving. Elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. The word is maturity. Not laying again. Say not laying again. Not laying again the foundation. How many times do you lay the foundation? supposed to be, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. They're basics. They're ABCs. We need to do what? Move on from them, but you can't move on from them if you haven't already laid them as a foundation. Amen? And verse 3 says, and this we will do, that is move on, if what? 
if God allows or if God permits, it's kind of like, wow, does that mean that maybe if I don't lay the foundation, God's not going to permit me to move on? Hmm. Now, I know that we got the youth in, and I'm really grateful because they've been sitting in for a number of weeks now, and it's been a blessing. And not only for their benefit, but also for our benefit. I'm a real visual learner. So, can you see as I'm beginning to lay the foundation stones? Can you see that? I hope everybody can see the screen. Laying the foundation stones. Why? Because in order for me to construct and build a house, I don't start with the house. What do I start with? The foundations. And if the foundations are not completely and, and correctly laid, then the house can begin to sink. You ever heard of subsidence? Ah, very expensive job. Underpinning, they call it. And it's drama. You don't need it. So, hey, let's build the house properly at the beginning so then we don't have to do no underpinning later and have to shell out more money, right? You see the principle? Foundation. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 adds to this and says, you know what? Fundamentally, the foundation is what? Or shall I say the foundation is who? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, is the foundation. But all of these principles, they relate to him. Can you see that? So we just need to make things right and do things properly. I had to move the house out a little bit because I never had enough room on the screen. But Jesus, in conjunction with these things that we are being taught and other things, will contribute to a rock-solid foundation in our lives as believers. How many of you have read Matthew chapter 7, where it talks about the foolish man and the wise man? One built his house on what? On sand. And the other man who was wise, he built his house on the rock. And how did he do that? Well, Matthew 7 said he heard and he did what Jesus said. Now, you can bear that in mind, but that's for another, that's for another time when we go through Matthew, hopefully. Another thing, let me just mention, um, we make it a habit, if you're new, to go through the scriptures verse by verse, line upon line, as we teach through particular portions of the, of, of the, of the, of the Bible. And for a moment, we're taking a break from that, and we're doing some topical stuff. Now, this is the exception to the rule. Just, just want to remind, because some of you might be like, when are we going to get back to line upon line? How comes we're doing all this topical business? Pastor Duncan, come up and switch up the game. No. We're just having a change, but um, we're going to get back to teaching line upon line very soon, probably in the next four weeks. Once we finish the foundation class, we've got Matt Cotman, who's from Calvary Chapel Leatherhead, who's coming on the 18th to come and share with us. Once he's come, then we're going to get back to line upon line. So, can you notice something about this house? Ain't got no color, we know that. Um... Can you notice that it's unfinished? I ain't got time. Can you notice it's unfinished? No windows, no doors, no paint, no tiles. It's unfinished. What is your house like? What kind of state is your house in? Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be five bedrooms, fully detached, double garage, just freshly painted and... It doesn't necessarily have to be complete, but 
it ought to be developing. Amen? It ought to be developing. And these foundations that we're going through are going to contribute to that. Now, we have done the first session, which was the Bible. Second session, as I've mentioned, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands. We are now at the sixth one. We've got three sessions left. Resurrection of the dead, which is where we are today. Eternal judgment. And then we've got an eighth one, which we've called DNA. Now, does anybody know what DNA stands for? I can just about pronounce it. It's deoxyribonucleic acid. And it talks about, basically, your makeup. That session, we're going to talk about our makeup. Well, Pastor E's going to talk about our makeup. So you know where we're going. Now, that one is going to conclude our series. <clears throat> number one and number eight in blue, if you can see it from where you're sitting, um, have been added by us. You won't find that in Hebrew 6, but we felt that that was going to be beneficial with regard to the foundation series. And number two through seven, <clears throat> obviously, as I've just read, we find in Hebrew 6. So... According to Hebrews 6, the first four topics are related to this life. The following two topics are related to the next life. The topic of resurrection of the dead is fundamental to the gospel. I hope when I say that now, it means something different to you. It is fundamental to the gospel. Listen to some of the quotes of Paul as he shares the gospel. Acts chapter 17, verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. That is Paul. And some said, what, is, what does this babbler have to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and what? The resurrection. Acts chapter 17, verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead... Some mocked, while others said, hmm, you know what? We're going to come back and check you about this matter because, boy, this kind of sounds interesting. Notice how this topic is an integral part of Paul's message. Okay, well, how about later when Paul is before the Sanhedrin or the religious Pharisees? Acts chapter 23, verse 6. But when Paul perceived... That one part was Sadducees and other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. See, he was kind of siding with the Pharisees momentarily, because remember, the Sadducees don't believe in what? The resurrection. But the Pharisees believe in the resurrection. So he's in drama now. So Paul two twos, draws for the Pharisees. Hey, you know what? I'm a Pharisee, you know. And from that moment, they kind of change up and they're like, oh, well, he's a Pharisee. And they begin to, if you like, argue between themselves rather than the heat beyond Paul for the moment. But you see what, what he says regarding his perspective as a Pharisee, he says, look, this is all about the hope of the resurrection of the dead. That's why I'm here being judged. It's like, come on, come on, fellas. You're going to judge me for something you guys all believe in. Now, you need to read Acts 23 to kind of get the full picture. But can you see what Paul's hope was? Acts chapter 24, verse 15. 
He says, I have hope in God. Which they themselves also accept. That there will be a resurrection of the dead. Both of the just and the unjust. Now we're going to come back to that. Then standing before Felix, the Roman governor, Acts 24, 21, he says, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged by you on this day. Acts 26, one more. Acts 26, verse 21. For these reasons, the the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to what? Rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting just how many times the resurrection is mentioned by Paul? As he stands up declaring the gospel, as he stood before judges, as he is put on trial and would suffer for. Why? Because of his hope in the gospel. And the resurrection is fundamental to that hope. And Paul mentions here that that Jesus would be the first to experience this resurrection from the dead. I'm not sure if you know, but the Lord Jesus in Mark's gospel three times says to his disciples that he would die and be raised from the dead on the third day. In Mark chapter 9, verse 31, Mark 9, 31, it says, For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. This is what he was saying to his disciples. And they will kill him, he said to them. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. Now, is anything about that that's not clear? (laughs) Verse 32, but they did not understand this saying. So Jesus would be the first, or the first fruits, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15. He'd be the first, but notice the disciples, they didn't understand. As disciples today, can I ask the question, do we understand issues relating to the resurrection? Do, do, do we really, under, we can talk about them, oh, look, how comes they never understood what he said? It was really clear. How comes they never understood? Well, do we, understood, do we understand? I think we do, and we don't. We know what it says, but does it really impact how we live? Ask yourself this question. Are you afraid of dying? That will begin to give you a little bit of insight as to how you really understand the resurrection. Here's another way of asking that question. Are you willing to lay your life down for the sake of the gospel? Like, oh, I understand what that means. Are you willing to lay your life down for the gospel? Hmm, well, boy, I don't really know if I really know what that means because... I don't know if I'm I'm in that place. 
where I'm ready to lay it down? That's asking a lot. Well, the Lord Jesus did it. The Apostle Paul did it. The 11 disciples did it. See, are, are you willing to say, Lord, not my will. Your will be done. Am I willing to say that? Even if it meant, even if it meant drinking from a cup that you would rather he take away. Even if it meant going somewhere that you don't want to go. Well, one of the reasons why you would say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to lay my life down, is because you understand that there is going to be a resurrection. The resurrection of the dead is our hope. Now, let's talk a little bit about the makeup of man as we try to clearly understand what this concept, this doctrine actually means. Let's talk a little bit about the makeup of man. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. You see where the Lord wants to take you with regard to sanctification? <laughs> you know what sanctification means? But Pastor Ephraim prayed it at the beginning. He talks about being justified. And we say, hallelujah, I'm justified. It's just as if I had never sinned. I'm forgiven. Cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Cool. Well, how about the next stage, fam? sanctification I mean we Pastor E the verse in Romans 8 does that it jumps straight to glorification after justification hallelujah Pastor E prayed it no more drama you can sing like my girl what's her name again Mary J no more drama when you're glorified but how about the process in between hello sanctification, which is the process where God is going to make you and me look more like Jesus. See, that's the answer to, why am I going through all this drama? There's your answer. Because God has a desire to make you look more like Jesus. And God is more concerned about the production of your character than he is the provision of your comfort. Amen. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you partially. Uh, King James, holy, or New King James, 21st century English, completely. Completely. That is the process. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to underline sanctification at present. I mention it in passing. But can you see the three different types or the three different aspects of the makeup of man there in that verse? Spirit, soul, and body. How many parts are there to the human being? These three parts. Now, the issue of the spirit and the soul is much more complicated than the issue of the body. Would you agree? So we know that we are a spirit and that we have a soul and that we live in what? We live in a body. Now, 
you can see I've got spirit and soul. They're distinct, but they're very, very, very closely related. Sometimes it's very difficult to differentiate between the two. Now, in Hebrews 4, it says only God's word can really make that, that definition between the two. Now, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, I just quoted it, didn't I? I should have just read it. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, how far? Even to the division, and here we see it again, an illustration of the different parts of the makeup of man, even to the division of soul and spirit, there's a distinction, and also what? The body, the joints and the marrow, right? And they say it's, 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 it's hard to tell where marrow becomes bone or joint in the same way it's hard to determine between when spirit meets soul and the, dis the distinction, the difference. Now check it. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, <clears throat> And the Lord God, he formed man. What part of man did he form? The body at that part. He formed man of the dust of the ground. And then what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man at that point became a living soul or a living being. The combination of the spirit from God breathed into the man culminated in two things happening, a soul and a body, at least coming to life. Can you see that? So we have the physical or material part of man formed from the dust of the ground that is his body. And we have the invisible, immaterial part of man that has its origination with God. That is his spirit and his soul. Now, importantly, at the point of death, what happens is, the invisible, immaterial element of man, his spirit and his soul, are released from its earthly vessel. Then afterwards, by the process of burial, man's material part, that is his body, man's material part is restored again to the earth from which it came. And by the process of decomposition, you know, how many of you know that? Um, God is, what do they do when they tell you to put stuff in the black bin and in the green bin? God recycles, right? Because, because our bodies are biodegradable, right? By the process of decomposition, it returns again to its original elements. Therefore, death, we understand, in contrast to life. When you... Subtract the spirit and the soul which God breathed into existence, the physical body ceases to function. When the spirit and soul leave the body, James, James chapter 2 verse 26, it says the body without the spirit is dead. Interestingly enough, have you seen this verse in Ecclesiastes? It's chapter 12 and verse 7. It says... Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. 
and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So the body goes into the ground and the spirit and the soul go somewhere else. Back to God. But where exactly? Turn with me to Luke chapter 16. It, the, spirit, the body goes into the ground, the spirit goes to God, but where? I mean, God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere, all at the same time. Where exactly does it go? I think, first of all, we can, we can, we can see that we're not in control at that point. If, the, if there's one thing to notice, the spirit goes On the basis of God's direction, the spirit goes away. But where does it go? Luke 16. Now, before I read this, there is no suggestion that can be supported to prove that this that we're going to read is a mere parable. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that this is a parable. They don't take it literally. They would have to say that because of their disbelief of hell. But let's let, let's, let's let Jesus and, the, and that which he communicates speak for itself. Luke 16, starting at verse 19. There was a certain, check it. See that? There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and he fared sumptuously every day. He was living real good. Verse 20, but there was a certain, notice, this is talking about real people at a real time. But there was a certain beggar, and he gives his name. If this is a parable, you ever see a parable with someone's name in it? There's a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, that's the rich man's gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. This man is in a bad way. Verse 22, so it was that the beggar died. Now we know what the definition of death is, right? The beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, his body or his spirit? His spirit is carried away. The rich man also died and was buried. Which part of him? His body was buried. Ah, but look, Jesus hasn't finished yet. Look what happens to the rich man's spirit. Verse 23. And being in torments in Hades. Did you see that? The man's buried, and as soon as he's buried, we move from the realm of the natural to another realm in one verse. And being in torment in Hades, let's see it again, verse 22, so it was that the beggar died and his spirit was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and his body was buried. But his spirit is still very much alive. But in another realm. A place called Hades or Gehenna or hell. Which is... A place with two compartments. How many compartments? 
two compartments. Look at verse 23. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. One, he is in torment. Two, he can see even without his physical eyes. Three, in steps another real life character and it's Abraham. Four, Lazarus the beggar is also here. Now imagine all of that information in just one verse. And there isn't one single earthly body in sight. This is all spiritual, even involving angelic intervention in verse 22, right? Look at verse 24. Then he, that is the rich man, cried and said, notice, he can talk. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Just to highlight, if you go back to verse 23, it's not, notice it says torments, plural. Please, send Lazarus, who evidently he can see. Send Lazarus and dip his finger in some water so that he can cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So the spirits of these men can speak. And presumably taste, or at least have the sensation of thirst. Verse 25, but Abraham said, oh, and that means that they can hear. Why else would Abraham respond? Verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime, what lifetime? The lifetime before he died. Remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now, hey, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Can you see why there is good reason to have hope? Can you see why there is good reason to have hope and that resurrection is the realization of that hope. You know, it was, it was round about this time last year that our brother, Sandeep, he went to be with the Lord. He died. Not only can he have, have hope. How many of you know you need hope at that point? Not only can he have hope or has hope, but his wife Sarah can have hope. Who's here today? She can have hope. It wasn't long ago when we went on a trip to Jamaica, our missions trip, that we went as a team of 47 and we came back as a team of 46. Brother Michael, he died. But how many of you know, for those of us that were there, it was, it was, it was an experience like I've never had in my life. Growing up, there's, there's only a few people that I've known really well personally that have died. And I tell you, me and everybody were rocked. In one year, we had two of our, of our brothers die. But 
without the hope of the, res the resurrection, we would mourn as, as the world would mourn. But thank God that we don't. And the resurrection is the realization of that hope. See, that was then. Remember then, rich man, when you was balling, when you never worried about nothing and you was living extravagant. Things have changed now, isn't it? And for, the, and for, Laz, for, for, for Lazarus, the beggar, things have changed for him and things are so much better. See, but now, how many of you know that that time is coming? And it's coming sooner rather than later for some of us. Hey, in 17 years' time, I will be 60. My, I, I, where's my life gone? I turned around and it, and it, and it had gone. That's why you see me ask, ask Marky. One of the things we talked about when we was in Jamaica and just spending time together was, you know what, we ain't got time. You ain't, got, you ain't got time. And time has no respect for no one, right? It just keeps on moving. And before you know it, see, and you don't want to look back with regret. And I mean, but now, verse 26, and besides all this, huh, besides all this, it's like, even if I wanted to help you, fam, I can't help you. Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. How many compartments are there? Abraham's bosom or paradise on one side and the flames of hell and their torments on the other. And the tickets are non-transferable. There's no transition in between the two places. Verse 27, then the rich man said, I beg you. I mean, I wonder if he'd ever used this kind of vernacular in his previous life. I beg you, therefore, father, that you would send him to my father's house, which is where? Back in the physical realm. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Verse 29, Abraham said to him, you know what? Like I said, we cannot help you. We cannot. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You see, the response, you see where the responsibility is placed? It's placed on the individual. See, let them, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. They have the writings of Moses and the writings of the prophets, the scriptures. Let them, that is them who are there, let them hear them. Let them hear and respond to the word of God. That's, that's, God's, that's the way God has chosen to work. And he said, verse 30, no father Abraham. No, no father Abraham, but if I, there's a, there is a way, if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Verse 31, but he said to, them, said to him, you know what, 
If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. We're talking about the resurrection of the dead today. Isn't it amazing how clear God's word is? You want to know about the afterlife? At school last week, I don't know how we got onto this issue of ghosts. But I was, I was really stunned. Because, you know, young people, you can't, nothing don't frighten young people nowadays. Young people ain't afraid of teachers. Young people ain't afraid of parents. Young people ain't afraid of police. I mean, like, but you know what? I couldn't believe they were visibly trembling. I was like, whoa, we start talking about ghosts. And they was talking about this song. I can't even remember. The, if I only could remember the song. They said, this song, man. No. They was talking about Rihanna. And they were like, boy, I don't listen to Rihanna Rihanna's songs, you know. Mm-mm, no. And I said, she's disturbed, isn't it? And then two of them said, disturb ya. <laughs> and they started talking about ghosts and how they, how they heard about this and they heard about that. And both, all of them, look, it was the middle of the day. Why were they looking around? I don't know. They were shook. One of them goes, no, I don't want to talk. No, 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 no. Put, put his fingers in his ears. Didn't want to hear. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Interesting. See, it's amazing. You want to know about the afterlife? Don't ask your friends them at school. You want to know about the afterlife? Whatever you do, don't go to Jamaica and ask Jamaican people about the afterlife. Unless they're Christians, right? Because they will tell you some breeder stories. <laughs> if you want to know about the afterlife, if, if you want to know about the afterlife, it's all about the Bible. It speaks with absolute authority and crystal clear clarity. So at death, the body by burial is returned to the earth, but the spirit moves out into a new kind of existence. In this existence after death, there is persistence of personality. There is recognition of one person by another. There is consciousness of present conditions. There is also some recognition of the previous life on earth. Some say the torment in hell isn't fundamentally going to be the flames. We ain't got time to go into that. The Bible says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's two different types of things. You have those two different responses for two different reasons. You gnash your teeth because of pain. See the Rambo films when, they're gonna, when he's trying to dig a bullet out? You put a piece of piece of tree bark in his, in his teeth as he, as, he, as he cuts out the bullet. Pain! Right? That's one, that's one response in hell. But there's another one and it's weeping. You don't weep because of pain. Imagine thinking back knowing that you had a chance for X amount. How old are you? 15? 25? 35, 55, for all that time you had a chance and you didn't have to be here. That's when you begin to weep. Consciousness 
excuse me, recognition of the previous life on earth. This is brought out by the words of Abraham to the rich man when he said, son, remember? And he did. Luke, however, adds another very important fact. After death. After death, the destiny of the spirits of the righteous is quite different from the destiny of the spirits of the unrighteous. Now, more about that next week. Death, or the separation of soul and spirit from the body, is often described in the, in the scriptures as falling asleep. And that's what it looks like, doesn't it? When somebody dies, they look like they're sleeping. We today often use terms that clearly describe death, but in different ways. We say someone has passed away. We say someone has passed on. Again, describing transition to another place, right? Ironically, even those that don't read or believe the Bible use these terms. And these terms do not describe finality. The Bible says, particularly of believers, when they die that, they have fallen asleep. Why? Because ultimately, they will be woken up. Like you were this morning when you're supposed to be up to come to church. And you weren't. Someone woke you up. Why? Because you were sleeping. Ultimately, everyone will fall asleep, but ultimately everyone will be woken up or resurrected the word resurrected means literally to stand up again it means to rise from a dead state we will all fall asleep at some point and we will either wake up like Alice in Wonderland or we will wake up to an eternal nightmare and we know that these two groups Groups exist, don't we? Those that are rebellious and are heading for hell. And those who have been made righteous and are heading for paradise. Ultimately, our destiny is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you received him? I would hate for you to remember hearing me ask that question. Have you received him? And you turn away and you don't. And you end up in Hades. You end up in Gehenna. You end up in hell. Not gnashing your teeth, although you will. But weeping. Because you remembered hearing someone asked, Have you received Christ? Now let's take a moment to talk about him. Because he is the pattern for the resurrection. The one who makes resurrection possible for others let's quickly look at first corinthians 15 which is the most important chapter probably in the bible with regard to resurrection just flip there i'm not going to put nothing up on the screen got to get you turning in your bibles from time to time oh it's all right robert's teaching i don't have to bring my bible you better turn to first corinthians chapter 15 all right going to start at verse 1 Moreover, brethren, 
I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, that is. Verse 3, for I delivered to you, says Paul, first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. Why? Because he died. And that he rose again, resurrected, the third day according to the scriptures. Now, how was that fulfilled according to the scriptures? It was quite a number of years I always asked that question. Where in the Old Testament does it prophesy that Jesus would die and that Jesus would rise? I'm like, where? I mean, how was that fulfilled? Well, Psalm 16 is a messianic psalm. That means it's a psalm that talks about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And it's actually David writing, but he's describing not that which would happen to him, but that which would happen to Jesus prophetically. And Peter says this in Acts, because he mentions, you know, David, yeah. What, King David? Yeah, that same one. Remember he died? Yeah, he died. And he stayed dead. His bones are still in the grave, still in the tomb, right? So what David is going to say evidently wasn't referencing his life. Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Hmm. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh, which is what? Which is his body or the physical part of him. My flesh also will rest in hope. That's the third time that word has come up today my my flesh will also rest in hope or sleep as it were but how about the spiritual part of jesus who this is actually speaking about his body's gonna rest but how about the spiritual part of jesus is that sleeping when his body goes to sleep Mm-mm. no verse 10 for you will not leave my soul now, we, de- de- we define those terms, right? Body, we heard it mentioned, spirit and soul. His body is in one place. But look, for you will not leave my soul, the immaterial part of him, in Sheol or in hell. Nor will you allow your Holy One, and here's the resurrection, or here's the fact that he can't stay dead. Neither will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That means his body is not going to decompose. So can you see that God is not going to allow the physical body of Jesus to suffer that kind of decomposition? Can you see how this prophecy was fulfilled? But that is only a partial fulfillment because Jesus has not yet been raised, as it were. Now rewind back to the moment just before Jesus died. As he hung on the cross between the two thieves, right? Remember? Are you there? Okay. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, speaking about Jesus, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us in the process. 
But the other one, who had a bit more sense, answering, rebuked him across Jesus. Because Jesus is in the middle, right? He looks across at the thief who just made up some holy panoi. He looks at him and he says to him, do you not even fear God? You'd think that recognizing your predicament, you'd be a bit more cognizant of the fact that, hey, you're about to meet your maker. Can you see and that's scary, that's terrifying. That is a picture of the, the wickedness of the human heart. You know, sometimes you're in a situation and you say something that you know you shouldn't have said. But sometimes you say it before you think. And then once you've said it, then you think, I shouldn't have said that. You know, when you're in them situation, that's the wickedness of our own heart. And, some, and very often we say those type of things to the people that we love. Heart is wicked, desperately evil. The Bible says, who can know it? David said, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. David, you see, David knew that he couldn't search it himself. Because when he searched his own heart, he skipped stuff. And that's what we do, right? So he'd be like, Lord, you search my heart. Because then I know I'm going to get an honest appraisal, right? An independent appraisal. Where was I? Search my heart. Where was I? Help me. Amen. The man's like, do you not even fear God, given your predicament? Seeing you are under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he turns and he says to Jesus, you know when your heart is beginning to be melted by God. See how he responds? And then he turns to Jesus. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, he might as well try because it's like he's got nothing to lose. It's not like, child man, you know what? I can't accept Christ right now, you know, because I've got my life to live, fam. He ain't got no life left to live. He's like, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it was more than that. It was more than just, boy, I ain't got no options. <laughs> Run out of options. I thought the teeth in thing was going to work, but it never worked. <laughs> I run out of options. <laughs> and Jesus turns and he says to him, the man genuinely. <laughs> and Jesus, verse 43, turns and says, Assuredly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Check it, today. Luke, chapter 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out after a few hours, he said, oh, in a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's a good thing the thief got in when he got in. Father, into your hands I commit my what? My, my body? No, my spirit into your hands. Having said this, he breathed his last. Remember I said that death is clearly seen as the opposite to life. Because when man was created, what did God do? He breathed into him, didn't he? And now we see Jesus breathe, but breathe out. And he breathed his last. 
His body was then taken down, limp and lifeless, because the body without the spirit is dead, and is placed into the tomb. Now, what happened to the spirit of Christ as it was released from his body at death? Now, this is controversial, but... What happened to Jesus' spirit? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Speaking of Christ, this ain't controversial. It's the word of God. It's the Bible. Therefore, he says, when he, speaking of Jesus, ascended on high, right? That's when he went up. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And he gave gifts to men. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus going up and just showering gifts, right? Now, this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also, first, before he ascended, descended into the lower parts of the earth. Where is the lower parts of the earth? I believe this is a synonym for hell. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 says, Jesus speaking about himself, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights, where? In the heart of the earth. Is hell in the lower parts of the earth? Is hell in the heart of the earth? Well, that's what it says. Moving on. Well, what was Jesus, this is the question, what was Jesus doing in hell? What was he doing in the heart of the earth or in the, the lower parts of the earth? First Peter chapter 3, for Christ also suffered how many times for sin? Once. The just for the unjust, the unjust, the divine exchange, that he might bring us to God. Wonderful, the gospel. Being put to death in the, what? In the flesh, in his body, but made alive by the spirit, in the spirit, right? Now, verse 19, here's the controversy. Verse 19, by whom he also went and preached to who? Oh, it's not there, sorry, my bad. There we go. All right, see, all right. see Harriet's got a Bible open, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> For Christ also suffered for sins, just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to who? The spirits in prison. Hmm. There's a puzzle. How can you put a spirit in prison? The Bible says, toward the end, that the devil is going to be chained up. How you chain up a spirit? Hmm, it's a puzzle. How can you put a spirit in prison? Who are these? Verse 20. Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of who? Noah. Remember that name. Second Peter chapter 2. For if God did not spare the angels who are spirits, who sinned, hmm, but cast them down to where? Hell the text says, and delivered them into chains of darkness. Does that sound like prison? Chains of darkness? What about the rest? To be reserved for judgment. Sounds like prison to me. 
But it don't sound like a physical prison. It don't sound like Brixton. It don't sound like Jeb Avenue to me. But it sounds like a place of incarceration. A lie? And did not spare the ancient world, but saved who? Remember, I asked you to remember his name? Same time frame. I put it to you. Now, there are many mysteries in the Bible, and I mean, and I'm not determining that this is what happened, but just putting together some of the pieces, I'm just going to suggest, as I try to fill in some of the blanks, without giving you my own personal opinion, I've tried to show you my, my, my thesis from the scriptures, right? I put it to you that this is suggesting... Or I'm suggesting that when Jesus died, one of the things that he did was go down to Hades or hell. Now, you may have heard preachers in the past talk about Jesus going to hell and being tormented and tortured. I am not saying that. That is not in the Bible. And there are some that would also say that Jesus further then went on to complete the work of atonement. I am not saying that. Jesus said on the cross, before he breathed his last, it is finished. For the sake of clarity. So I'm saying he went down to hell first into the second compartment. Remember I said this too. First into the second compartment, which possibly has a sub-compartment, because the word for hell in this verse in 2 Peter 2 is Tartarus. And he preached, it's not Gehenna, it's not Sheol, and it's not Hades, it's Tartarus. And it seems like, boy, this is one place that is so dark. It's reserved for these particular angels who sinned back in the time of Noah. And he pre it says he preached. You might think, oh, that can't mean that. Just because it says he preached doesn't mean he was trying to make, get them saved. The word preach means to declare and he preaches to them and he tells them something. I don't know. Not in order to save them. And I don't know. Possibly declare. Let me not, I'm not even going to surmise. But possibly it's the destruction that was to come upon these fallen angels. Ever heard of the Nephilim? Genesis 6 during the time of Noah. Now again... You know, there are, it's, it's, it's well documented from good quality Bible teachers that this is the case, but there are many that don't agree with it. But you know, and, and at the end of the day, it really doesn't make that much difference to your salvation. You know what I mean? But I'm suggesting that's the first place he went when he went to hell. Then Jesus went to the first, that was the second compartment, but now he goes to the, sorry, a subdivision of the second compartment, hell, but now he goes to the first compartment. Abraham's bosom, to greet and take home the saints that had died in the Old Testament previous to his coming. Oh, what a time that that must have been. Can you imagine? Jesus going to meet and greet the saints of old. Sin. Adam, maybe. Eve, maybe. Abel, definitely. <laughs> Moses, 
David, Jeremiah, Elijah, those that had suffered for his name's sake. How about the thief on the cross? How beautiful would that be? There would be weeping, but not the type of weeping that they'd be doing in the second compartment. And not least of all, here comes Abraham, the father of faith. What would that have been like for them to have seen Jesus come to get them? Praise, oh, edit, it'll be, oh, I wonder if, oh, Pastor P said, is that Pastor P who said that? Who said that? Bertram, Brother B. See, if we would allow this to seep into our understanding, that is the reality of the resurrection. You're right, bruv. We would declare glorious praise. And I'm sure they did. Who can imagine what that must have been like? I'm sure, like I always say, it's on DVD, on Blu-ray. You know what I mean? We'll be able to watch it in 1080p. Maybe that's why, I don't know, maybe that's why it took the Lord three days to rise. Conjecture. Because he's spending time with the saints. See, now that is the scene. I understand my heart. I'm not trying to clarify with absolute precision exactly what happened. But that's the scene in the spiritual realm. Then in the physical realm, what happens? Long story. But the two Marys, they go to the tomb to embalm the dead body of Jesus, don't they? But it's not there. It's gone. It's gone. But the spirit of Jesus has re-entered the lifeless body of Jesus. And he who was dead is now alive again. And Mary reaches out to touch Jesus in John chapter 20. And he says, don't touch me. Do not touch me for I have not yet ascended to my father. That, that contributes to saying, well, where was he? You'd be like, oh, well, when Jesus gave up his spirit, he went straight to the father. It doesn't seem to indicate that. Because this is three days later. And he says, don't touch me because I've not yet gone to the father. So where had he been? See, but then, when he ascends, as he ascended, he would then lead those who had been captive. Could it be that it was at this point that he transferred all those who were in Abraham's bosom up into heaven? Matthew chapter 27. Oh my God, man. Read this verse about 15 years ago, and I thought, what on earth does this mean? Matthew 27, verse 52. It's up on the screen. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep. You see that term again? Were raised. They were resurrected. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, because he's the first fruits, gonna ra- always going to ra- raise first. Coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I ain't going to try and ex- exegete that, them verses. But 
possibly this is the point at which Jesus is taking them to heaven. To now and forever be with the Father. Well, that's them. How about us? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 15 says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. It's like, hey, this isn't conjecture. This we say to you, says Paul, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, because he's already ascended and gone into heaven, but he's coming back. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will, know, will by no means precede those who are asleep. That is those saints who have gone before us, whose bodies are in the grave, but their spirits are in heaven with the Lord. Because that's what Paul says, doesn't he? He says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the difference. Jesus is the dividing line. Before him, you go to Abraham's bosom. After him, you die. You go straight to be with the Father. Right? Sorry, I just never had more time. I should have took another week like Pastor E. I've just done more of this next week. But there is so much. There's so much in the text about this issue. But we won't precede those. That means we won't go before those who are asleep. They're going to go before us. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout can't wait for that moment with the voice of an archangel with the trump of god and the dead in christ will rise first see but we won't precede them those were that they will rise first their spirits will merge with their physical bodies and they will rise we call it the rapture they will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them so they go up and then simultaneously or not simultaneously just after momentarily after Scripture says, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This morning, Pastor E was praying for healing. I know, apart from healing, some of you, you need a miracle. And we can get really discouraged because the things that we want sometimes, but then sometimes the things that we need don't materialize. But don't be discouraged. Because your life in Christ, as I said, is much, is, there's much more to it than just getting what we want. Someone said to me the other day, I realized something about prayer. Prayer is not about me trying to get stuff from God. Prayer is me, is God helping me to get into that place where he wants me to be. So that I can receive the things that he wants to give. Not so much what I want. See, Psalm 34. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I should have quoted that like this. The Lord will give you the desires of your heart. No, he won't. He'll give you the desires of your heart if you delight yourself in him. Because then his desires become your desires. And then you will get those things. You see the difference? See? We have got a hope. I'm, I'm talking about, you talk about miracle. You need a miracle? I'm talking about graves opening, dead bodies coming up visibly, visually. I'm talking about us along with them. How many of us? 
across the globe, all at the same time, in the air, in the clouds. I'd be like, if I say, Lord, I've got this need, and Lord, I really, really, please, 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 and I get up off my knees, and a week later I don't get it, I have to say, hallelujah, praise God. Maybe you just don't want me to have that thing, Lord. Praise God. Looking forward to the resurrection. Regardless, it's all good. Because I'm going to fly. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to comfort you beyond your point of need. Trying to get, you know, for us as Christians, heaven needs to be enough. See, we're talking about the resurrection of the dead. Which would you like? The top three things on your prayer list or resurrection from the dead? As we conclude, listen to what Paul says about this important doctrine just before he actually quoted the things that I just mentioned. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, but... I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Remember, we're talking about foundational, fundamental principles. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Because your house, like we said so at the beginning, is going to go like this if you're ignorant of these things. Do you feel like your life is going like this? Maybe it's because you're ignorant of these things. Because your house won't go like this. If you're not ignorant, it means you've got those rock-solid, foundational, concrete, with steel in them blocks in your foundation. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who do not have hope. We can't. It's hard when we have tragedy. It's hard when things ain't going the way we want them to. It's hard when we are suffering with physical ailments. But please don't sorrow to the point where you become debilitated. You become paralyzed because you can't function because you you're not getting what you want. Don't sorrow as the, people who do that, they have no hope. That's why they do that. Let's not be caught and found in that category. See, we will at a certain time go to sleep, but we will awake again, and we will see our beloved ones again if we are in Christ. As disciples, do we understand Issues relating to resurrection. Here we go as we finish. First Corinthians 15, that great chapter on the resurrection, and I encourage you to read it because I've, I've, I've only hit maybe 10, 15, 20% of what it says in First Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Pastor E prayed it at the beginning. I loved it. I just, like John the Baptist, when he le leapt in his mother's womb, I leapt when he said it, when he prayed it. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, see, on the basis of all that we just talked about, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See? When you get a picture of the resurrection, that's how you function. Immovable. Oh, my goodness. Steadfast. Always abounding. Be like, man, that brother, man, that sister, nothing don't rock them. They got a good picture of the resurrection. So as we pray. Are you the... Are you the thief on the cross? Not the one that said, Lord, remember me, the other one. You don't, up until this point, you've not recognized who Christ is. You never ever thought much about the afterlife. Are you like the rich man in Luke 16? Just worried about the cares of this life. Or just like him, you are a heartbeat away from transitioning from this material realm to the immaterial realm. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near. And he's near today to save you. Cry out to him. Reach out to him. He loves you. Father, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you desire to do in our lives. Lord, it's been wonderful up until now, yet you have such a glorious future ahead of us. And that is regardless of whether or not we're going through a hard time now. That's regardless of the fact that we struggle with unbelief. That's regardless of the fact that we are single and want to be married or we're married and want to be single. Lord, the resurrection of the dead is our hope. I pray that you would encourage us to that end in some way, shape or form today by the power of your spirit. And allow us, Lord, to rejoice now not not just then we will but help us to rejoice now in the wonderful hope that you've provided for us through the resurrection of the dead in the name of jesus we pray father